Our scripture reading today is from the book of Matthew. It's very entertaining. Just like our pastor. <laughs> okay. This is my attempt at working on talking and looking at the same time, so bear with me. Um, our scripture reading today is Matthew from uh, chapter 12, verses 22 through 50. If you're able, please stand with me for the reading of God's word. Then a demon-oppressed man who was blind and mute was brought to him, and he healed him so that the man spoke and saw. And all people were amazed and said, Can this be the son of David? But when the Pharisees heard it, they said, It is only Bezabel, the prince of demons, that this man casts out demons. Knowing their thoughts, he said to them, Every kingdom divided against itself is laid waste, and no city or house divided against itself will stand. And if Satan casts out Satan, he is divided against himself. How then will his kingdom stand? And if I cast out demons by Bezabel, by whom do your sons cast them out? Therefore they will be your judges. But if it is by the Spirit of God that I cast out demons, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. Or how can someone enter a strong man's house and plunder his goods unless he first binds the strong man? Then indeed he may plunder his house. Whoever is not with me is against me, and whoever does not gather with me scatters. Therefore I tell you, every sin and blasphemy will be forgiven people, but, er but the blasphemy against the Spirit will not be forgiven. And whoever speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven, but whoever speaks against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven, either in this age or in the age to come. Either make the tree good and its fruit good, or make the tree bad and its fruit bad, for the tree is known by its fruit. You brood of vipers, how can you speak good when you are evil? For out of the abundance of the heart the mouth speaks. The good person out of his good treasure brings forth good, and the evil person out of his evil treasure brings forth evil. I tell you, on the day of judgment people will give account for every careless word they speak, for by your words you will be justified, and by your words you will be condemned. Then some of the scribes and Pharisees answered him, saying, Teacher, we wish to see a sign from you. But he answered them, An evil and adulterous generation seeks for a sign, but no sign will be given to it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For just as Jonah was in the three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. The men of Nineveh will rise up at the judgment of this generation and condemn it, for they repented at the preaching of Jonah, and behold, something greater than Jonah is here. The queen of the south will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it, for she came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon, and behold, something greater than Solomon is here. When the unclean spirit has gone out of a person, it passes through waterless places seeking rest, but finds none. Then it says, I will return to my house from which I came. And when it comes, it finds the house empty, swept, and put in order. Then it goes and brings with it seven other spirits more evil than itself, and they enter and dwell there. And the last state of that person is worse than the first. So also will it be with this evil generation. While he was still speaking to the people, behold, his mother and his brothers stood outside asking to speak to him. But he replied to the man who told him, Who is my mother and who are my brothers? And stretching out his hands toward his disciples, he said, Here are my mother and my brothers, for whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother and my sister and mother. Thank you.
Thank you, Mike. Already have had an interesting service from my son punching me in the face with a toy to, I think, Elisa, I think her application of, this, of the children's message was that John was a Baptist. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> Sorry, I loved it. I had to point that out. Um, we're going to be in Proverbs, Proverbs chapter 10. Proverbs chapter 10. Let's go ahead and read this passage together. Um, The whole chapter. Proverbs chapter 10. The Proverbs of Solomon. A wise son makes a glad father, but a foolish son is a sorrow to his mother. Treasures gained by wickedness do not profit, but righteousness delivers from death. The Lord does not let the righteous go hungry, but he thwarts the cravings of the wicked. A slack hand causes poverty, but the hand of the diligent makes rich. He who gathers in summer is a prudent son, but he who sleeps in harvest is a son who brings shame. Blessings are on the head of the righteous, but the mouth of the wicked conceals violence. The memory of the righteous is a blessing, but the name of the wicked will rot. The wise of heart will receive commandments, but a babbling fool will come to ruin. Whoever walks in integrity walks securely, but he who makes his ways crooked will be found out. Whoever winks the eye causes trouble, but a babbling fool will come to ruin. The mouth of the righteous is a fountain of life, but the mouth of the wicked conceals violence. Hatred stirs up strife, but love covers all offenses. On the lips of him who has understanding, wisdom is found, but a rod is for the back of him who lacks sense. The wise lay up knowledge, but the mouth of a fool brings ruin near. A man's wealth is his strong city. The poverty of the poor is their ruin. The wage of the righteous leads leads to life, the gain of the wicked to sin. Whoever heeds instruction is on the path of life, but he who rejects reproof leads others astray. The one who conceals hatred has lying lips, and whoever utters slander is a fool. When words are many, transgression is not lacking, but whoever restrains his lips is prudent. The tongue of the righteous is choice silver. The heart of the wicked is of little worth. The lips of the righteous feed many, but fools die for lack of sense. The blessing of the Lord makes rich, but he adds no sorrow with it. Doing wrong is like a joke to a fool, but wisdom is pleasure to a man of understanding. What the wicked dreads will come upon him, but the desire of the righteous will be granted. When the tempest passes, the wicked is no more, but the righteous is established forever. Like vinegar to the teeth and smoke to the eyes, so the sluggard to those who send him. The fear of the Lord prolongs life, but the years of the wicked will be short. The hope of the righteous brings joy, but the expectation of the wicked will perish. The way of the Lord is a stronghold to the blameless, but destruction to evildoers. The righteous will never be removed, but the wicked will not dwell in the land. The mouth of the righteous brings forth wisdom, but the perverse tongue will be cut off. The lips of the righteous know what is acceptable, but the mouth of the wicked what is perverse. Let's pray. Lord, as we come before your word today, I pray that we would humble ourselves before it, that we would learn its truths, 
But Lord, we would learn how to read this book before us. Pray, Lord, that you would open our eyes, that you would give us the ability to discern, the ability to understand. Lord, give me wisdom as I seek to teach through this passage today. Pray, Lord, that the preparation that has been done will not be without the work of the Holy Spirit. God, I pray that you would move in amongst your people today. In your name, amen. One of the most important tasks of a pastor, according to Dr. Paige Patterson, is to teach God's people how to read Scripture. For the most part, this is why verse-by-verse studying of Scripture is so important. Topical preaching can tend to focus away from allowing the text of Scripture to drive the sermon and more toward the preacher driving the sermon. When the preacher and his preferences and opinions becomes the center of the sermon, then instead of uncovering and explaining the meaning of Scripture to God's people, the preacher only uncovers and explains himself, no matter how many Bible verses he uses. When we study a book of the Bible verse by verse, the preacher cannot skip content that he does not like or is not able to handle. He must seek to understand the text and bring it to the people no matter what. Thus far in the book of Proverbs, we've been dealing with the introduction of the book. Chapters 1 through 9 build the foundation upon which the rest of the book is laid. Thus far, going verse by verse through the book has been essential because these introductory chapters have been building a case for making a faith decision to follow wisdom, that is Jesus, so that we may have, have the wisdom found in this book. But when most of us think of the book of Proverbs, we don't think of these long extended speeches of the father to, the, to his son or of woman wisdom to the son. Rather, we think of these short one-verse snippets that are found in chapters 10 through 31. Most of us have been reading Proverbs for most of our lives and may not think that we need to be taught how to read the book of Proverbs. After all, these statements seem pretty straightforward, but there is a right way and a wrong way to read the book of Proverbs. Now, let's be clear. As I stated in the beginning of the series, I am still learning too. I don't have all the answers, especially when it comes to the book of Proverbs This is why we're studying it, because I needed to learn it. Thus, as usual, I will continue to rely heavily on the insights of great scholars who have uh, have a much better grasp of this book. Particularly, I have leaned heavily on Jonathan Aiken and his work on the book of Proverbs. So, if there is a right way and a wrong way to read the book of Proverbs, we should want to know, right? Right? We want to know. After all, we've already seen that the fool, the one who chooses to follow idols, is the one who hates correction, while the wise person, the person who is in a right relationship with Jesus, seeks to gain knowledge and responds to correction in humility. There are basically two ways, then, that we can approach the book of Proverbs and even the whole Bible. One way is to approach it like the Pharisees. The Pharisee comes to the book and concludes that these sayings tell us what we can do to make God love us. If I obey my parents, then God will love me. If I raise my children in church, then God will love me. 
The other way that is what I would suggest is the correct way is to read Proverbs as a blood-bought Christian who says, these are not things we do in order to get God to love us. These are things we do because God already loves us. We do not do these things to become his children. We do these things because in Jesus Christ, we have already been adopted into his family. And now here is how we live our lives. These Proverbs are not things that God tells us to do in order for him to love us. These behaviors are what the Lord is producing in those who are already his children, those who are already a part of his family. Proverbs has already shown us over and over again that a relationship with Jesus is the beginning of wisdom. If you are not in a relationship with Jesus according to the book of Proverbs, you cannot be wise. So when you come to these verses and we realize that we are not in obedience with these teachings, that our life is a wreck, perhaps the reason is that you do not have a relationship with Jesus. Or perhaps the Lord is showing you an area where your life is not yet under the control of the gospel. You see, the gospel is not, ma is not about making ourselves righteous. The gospel is about how the righteousness of Jesus has been credited to our account by virtue of our faith in him and how by his spirit and his word, he is molding you and shaping you to become more like him. It's a slow process. It's gradual. <clears throat> it's a, it, there's ups and downs in this journey. Sometimes we take two steps forward and one step back. Or take one step forward and three steps back. But, in this, it, but it is a process whereby God is molding you and shaping you into the image of his wisdom, who is Jesus Christ. The Christian life is lived by faith. By faith, we recognize our sin and our foolishness. And then daily repent of those areas where we are not believing the gospel. Or, or, or are not worshiping Jesus rightly. Our works do not save us, but rather our faith produces works in us. Faith will produce obedience and wisdom in your life. As we saw last week in chapter 9, this is exactly the decision that we were given. We were given the choice between following wisdom or Jesus and following folly or idols. The choice is a matter of life and death. The decision will determine whether or not you can obey the teachings of 10 through 31 of the book of Proverbs. Wisdom is not having a high IQ. It's not being a certain age. Rather, according to the book of Proverbs, you cannot be wise without a relationship with Jesus. No matter how smart you are in the eyes of the world, without a relationship with Jesus, you cannot walk in wisdom as it is laid out in the book of Proverbs. So chapters 10 through 31 hinge on a right interpretation of chapter 9. Chapter 10 then begins a brand new section of the book. Look how it starts out. It says, the Proverbs of Solomon. This is now telling us, now we are moving from this first section to this next section of Proverbs. This is the Proverbs proper, if you will. These are the short, pithy, sometimes random sayings of practical wisdom uh, rather than extended discourse. If you want to boil down the whole, what the whole book of Proverbs is about, 
what it does is it reveals where your life is idolatrous and where you are not believing the gospel. If you see patterns of foolishness in your life with finances or relationships or a hundred other things, what Proverbs reveals is you are worshiping someone or something other than Jesus. It could even be multiple idols. Maybe you have an idol of self. You cannot accept correction because you cannot accept that you are wrong. Maybe you have an idol of money. Greed, covetousness, and get-rich-quick schemes are a constant snare. Maybe you have an idol of comfort, so, you are, so foolishly you are lazy. For others, your children are an idol. So you put them on a pedestal and refuse to discipline them. When they pitch a fit in the store, you cave in and get them whatever they want because they are the God of the temple that you must appease. When we worship something or someone other than Jesus, it leads to all sorts of practical foolishness. Proverbs 10 through 31 is fairly random and, and disconnected, but there are major categories that we can look at thematically. Thus, the rest of our series through Proverbs, we will follow this thematic approach, always keeping the text of Scripture as our guide. The categories that Proverbs presents are areas like words, work, finances, relationship, and future awards. Since these things reveal whether or not you are in a right relationship with Jesus or worshiping idols, what Proverbs shows us is that there is no sacred and secular divide in our lives. <clears throat> Proverbs does not teach that worship is something done between four walls of a building on a Sunday morning, but rather that worship penetrates every aspect of our lives. The practical areas of our lives, what we do all week long, this reveals whether or not we are moving toward or away from Jesus. So our relationship with Jesus has everything to do with whether or not you can clean your room when your parents ask you to, or whether or not we discipline our children. It has everything to do with who you choose to date. It has everything to do with what business deals you make or how you get that promotion, or whether you can balance a checkbook. This is the context in, much, in which we must read chapters 10 through 31. God shows us in Proverbs how life works best. Life works best when you first have harmony with God through a relationship with Jesus, which leads to harmony in your relationships with other people and the world around you. God knows this because he is the one who made the world. It makes sense, right? The one who made it would know how it works. He knows the way the world works because he made it. Often we can come to the Bible, see God's commands, and blow them off, or worse yet, reinterpret them because we don't believe that they will make us happy. God does not tell us these things to make us unhappy, but rather to give us true happiness that lasts forever. He loves you. He wants you to know the way that life works best. He knows that a life filled with idols will destroy you and everyone around you. For us today, we'll use chapter 10 as a test case for how to read Proverbs. 
Proverbs 10 mainly contrasts two ways or paths that we have seen so far. There's a way of wisdom, and there's a way of foolishness. There's a way of righteousness, and there's a way of wickedness. Solomon constantly contrasts these two paths in these major categories of life. We will see how this is laid out here in Proverbs 10 through 30, and, and see that Proverbs 10 through 31 points us to how Jesus will produce this kind of wisdom progressively in his followers. One striking change uh, beginning in chapter 10 is how random everything is. Did you notice that as we read it this morning? Didn't have the same, didn't have the same kind of narrative that we saw in 1 through 9. It just started throwing random things out. From this point on, the verses switch suddenly from talking about money to laziness to blessing to how to use your mouth to how to discipline your children. The reason that it is so random is that Solomon is obeying the command to parents in Deuteronomy 6 to teach children the law. God specifically commanded parents to teach children the law when they wake up, when they sit, when they walk along the road, and when they lie down. When don't we do those things? Never, right? That's all day, every day. Right? This is when God is commanding us to teach our children is all day, every day. For those who are parents, do you sit down with your children and say, okay, now Monday, we're going to talk about relationships and dating and marriage. And then Tuesday, we're going to talk about, uh, we're going to talk about work. And then Wednesday, we're going to talk about uh, things like finances or everything you need to know about how to communicate with people. Of course not. No, instead, we talk to them about everything from the mundane to the sublime. Like how to throw a baseball, how to drive a car, how to do a job interview, how to give a good firm handshake, right? How to spend money wisely, how to handle conflict with a friend, how to handle dating issues, how to pray, teach them about the gospel, all sorts of things. As conversations and topics come up, Parents have a responsibility to teach their children. Solomon is showing us that throughout the day, conversations will come up about all kinds of topics. And we need to be ready to instruct our children and impart wisdom to them. Throughout the rest of the series, we'll deal with broad categories and themes so that we can deal with them in more detail. But for today... We want to get a glimpse of what Proverbs says about different areas of life so that we can understand how to read the book rightly in its entirety. First of all, we'll see in our passage today that Jesus produces wisdom in the areas of your work and your money. In chapter 10, verses 2 through 5, it says this, Treasures gained by wickedness do not profit, but righteousness delivers from death. The Lord does not let the righteous go hungry, but he thwarts the craving of the wicked. A slack hand causes poverty, but the hand of the diligent makes rich. He who gathers in summer is a prudent son, but he who sleeps in harvest is a son who brings shame. So we see here in this section that Jesus produces wisdom in the area of your work and money. We see this theme early on in the book of Proverbs and in this passage. It deals with money in our work ethic. Look again at verse 2. It says, Treasures gained by wickedness do not profit, but righteousness delivers from death. If you are a greedy person, if you are a person who cheats the government, 
or if you are a person who cheats your employers, then that will not profit you like you think it will. You are an idolater. Sometimes idolatry is not worship of bad things. It can be worship of good things that you have put in the place of God. Proverbs teaches a lot about money. It tells us that if we are wise, we will make more money, generally speaking. But the Proverbs are not always positive about money. They do not say that every time you accumulate money, that it's a sign of God's blessing on your life. Money, if it is not gotten in the right way, or if you trust in it, is destructive. I had a friend who worked for a company that uh, gave bonuses based on credit cards that they would, that they would sell. Many of you have been in these stores, you know, you go to the checkout and every time you go to the checkout, do you want to get the credit card? Do you want to get the credit card? Do you want to get the credit card? And you're like, no, I've got enough credit card debt. Okay, leave me alone, right? Get out of my hair. Well, my friend worked at a company like this and he hated this part of his job. He could not stand it. He, he understood that Proverbs teaches that debt is bad. Ultimately, he could not continue with the job because he could not justify bringing people into debt as a part of his daily routine. But that's not the real problem we have with this verse. The real problem we have with this verse is we have to ask, is it really true? Is this really true that treasures gained by wickedness do not profit and that righteousness delivers from death? Is that really true? We've all seen people cheat the system and get away with it. We've seen people become very wealthy by unjust means. So are these Proverbs true? Is this the way the world works? Verse 3 also says that the Lord does not let the righteous go hungry. But what about believers starving to death all around the world? What about Christians in our church who've lost their jobs and now their families are struggling. Does that mean they're not God's children or that God does not love them? The key to understanding the book of Proverbs is that we must view them in light of Christ and in light of eternity. That's the key. Do not view these things in terms of immediacy. Generally, these things are true immediately, but they will always be true ultimately. The wicked may make more money now, and the righteous may starve now. But in the end, those who are outside of Christ will have trouble, and those who are in Christ will be trouble-free. One day in glory, right? Those in Christ will be enriched. Those outside of Christ will lose all that they have. Just look at the life of Christ. Judas, who gets money the wrong way, ended up dead. But Jesus, who is the righteous one, is delivered from death, just like verse 2 promised. Jesus is the only one who is righteous. If you are in him, you will be rescued from death later and freed from the love of money in the present. Verses 4 and 5 then turn to the issue of our work ethic. Let's look back at it. It says, a slack hand causes poverty, but the hand of the diligent makes rich. He who gathers in summer is a prudent son, but he who sleeps in harvest is a son who brings shame. 
What Solomon says is that laziness will lead to poverty and shaming your parents, while diligence and hard work lead to riches where you are able to provide and bring joy to your parents. Again, wisdom is about the effect your actions have on you and the people around you. But the problem is that no one thinks that they're lazy. We're really good at pointing out some extreme case where, uh, where, or, or somebody else, that, you know, or some extreme standard that exonerates us from being a uh, part of that kind of sin. We think of the lazy person as the person who sits around and binge watches Netflix with popcorn laying on their, on their chest, or plays video games all day in their boxers, refusing to get a job or to move out of their parents' basement, and hasn't taken a shower or changed their underwear in a month. Right? We think, that's the lazy person, so I'm definitely not. That's why I'm okay. But that's not what the book of Proverbs says. In Proverbs, laziness refers to people who cannot see their assignments through to completion. It's the son who helps plant the crop, but is not there during the harvest to finish the task. In our day, the laziness of Proverbs looks like distractions that keep you from staying on task. You can't complete your assignments at work because Facebook distracts you for 30 minutes. You come back and do five minutes more of work, but then spend another hour watching YouTube videos. Laziness is seen in the extended adolescence of our culture where kids can't grow up and provide for themselves, but, end up, but keep ending up back at mom and dad's house, bringing shame to their parents, even if they won't admit it. Laziness keeps you from providing for your family or from the ability to even have a family. And the failure to provide for your family is a failure to believe the gospel. It is a Jesus problem. 1 Timothy 5.8 makes this clear. I'm going to read this to you here. 1 Timothy 5.8 says this. But if anyone does not provide for his relatives, and especially for members of his household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. Scripture is clear that laziness is a sin issue. It is a Jesus issue. It is not just a personality trait. It is not just a phase you're going through. It is a Jesus issue. Secondly, we see in this passage that Jesus produces wisdom in the areas of your words and your mouth. Like I said earlier, we're not going to be thorough. We're not going to be able to deal with everything in this chapter, but we're going to deal with a couple of, of major issues here. Um, look at verse 8. It says, the wise of heart, or it says, The wise of heart will receive commandments, but a babbling fool will come to ruin. Jesus uh, will grow you in wisdom when it comes to the use of your tongue. Bruce Waltke explains this verse this way. He says, The fool is so full of himself that instead of having the capacity to accept uh, wisdom, he, dangerously, uh, he will dangerously prattle out his own clever opinions, which are devoid of wisdom. Here's the point. And this is a major theme of the book of Proverbs. If you are the kind of person who loves to hear the sound of your own voice and who speaks more than you listen, then you're probably a fool you're probably worshiping the idol of self. Do you know people who are like this? 
You, can't, you, can, you can tell that they aren't listening when you talk. That they're just waiting for you to breathe so that they can inject their own opinion. They don't really want to know your thoughts. They just want to tell you theirs. Or maybe you are this type of person. If you are this type of person, then Proverbs says that you are a fool and it will end up hurting you. You will come to ruin. Why? Because if you cannot listen to someone else's instruction, you will never learn from your own mistakes. All of us think we're right. If we didn't, we would change our opinions, right? So that we would be right. Right? (laughs) If I thought I was wrong about something, why would I keep on holding the wrong view? That would make no sense. I may think that my views on everything are right, but at the end of the day, I have to understand that I must be wrong about some things. I can't be right about everything. Some of those things will be learned and corrected through experience. Some of those things, especially God things, can be learned through study of Scripture and through reading good books. If I'm wrong, I do not want to stay wrong. But if you are the type of person who loves to talk and never listen to others with the awareness that you may be wrong, then you will never grow as a person and you will continually make the same mistakes. You cannot learn where you are off unless you are willing to receive commands and counsel from others. Wisdom is being able to receive advice humbly and then follow it. This has everything to do with Jesus who perfectly accepted the commandments of his father and knew when and how to speak rightly. Proverbs 13.3 says, The one who guards his mouth protects his life. The one who opens his lips invites his own ruin. Proverbs repeatedly says that those who speak a lot also sin a lot and are destructive to themselves and the people around them. Since we are sinners, the more we talk, sooner or later something stupid will come out of our mouths. How many times have you said something and immediately wished you could take it back? But you can't. Jesus produces the ability to guard your tongue. Third, we see that Jesus produces wisdom in the area of your relationships. Wisdom has to do with relationships. Whether you are the kind of person who loves your neighbor or makes fun of your neighbor reveals whether you are wise or a fool. Whether you are the kind of person who keeps secrets reveals whether you are wise or a fool. Most likely, the inability to keep secrets reveals that you worship yourself because you like to be the person who has and disseminates information. That, er- that, has, uh, that has everything to do with your relationship with Jesus. Wisdom has to do with all kinds of relationships. Whether or not you're generous to the poor as chapter 11, verse 24 will show, whether you take care of animals, 12.10, whether you listen to your parents, in 13.1, whether you keep good company, in 13.20, or whether you date the right people reveals whether or not you are wise and walking with Jesus. Jesus doesn't, doesn't just reconcile to you to God. He also reconciles us to others. We see an example of this here in verse 1. This is the Proverbs of Solomon, a wise son makes a glad father, but a foolish son is a sorrow to his mother. 
these parallel lines complement each other. The basic idea is that if you are a wise child, you will make your parents happy. But if you are foolish, you will break your parents' hearts. The assumption in the text here is that the parents are wise. So I understand that an unwise parent can be heartbroken that you are following Jesus. This does not mean you are foolish. Rather, it reveals their foolishness. The principle Solomon teaches is that our wisdom or foolishness has emotional consequences on the people around us, specifically our parents. You need to observe the response that your behavior elicits from your parents to know whether you are wise and in right relationship with Jesus or whether you are a fool who is walking away from Jesus. Wisdom has everything to do with the emotional results you bring out of your parents. If you bring your parents shame because of foolish decisions, words, actions, <clears throat> excuse me, uh, you have a problem with Jesus. If you choose friends who corrupt you, if you choose dating relationships that are harmful to you, or if you get involved with peers and drugs and alcohol and break your parents' hearts, that reveals idolatry in your life. Now, parents, this is not just a phase in your child that you merely need to wait through. It is foolishness in the life of your child. It is sin. If we are honest with ourselves, we would have to admit that we've all done things to hurt our parents. I'm certainly not exempt from this. The good news of the gospel is that this, is that this convicting reality points us to Jesus. Jesus is the one who perfectly fulfills the wisdom of Proverbs. Jesus was the one who per was perfectly wise and perfectly honored his parents. That's why Luke 2.51 points us to the fact that Jesus submitted in everything to Mary and Joseph. This is why at the end of the Gospel of John, Jesus makes provision for his mother after his death, resurrection, and ascension. Jesus did this because he perfectly honored his parents. Jesus not only obeyed the fifth commandment for us, but he also died the death that we deserve for shaming our parents. He offers us his perfect record of righteousness and wisdom through faith. He offers to wipe the slate clean of all the times we dishonored our parents. Through the Holy Spirit, Jesus makes us the kind of children who bring joy to our parents. Relationships are again brought up in, in Proverbs chapter 10 and verse 12. Look at verse 12 here. It says, it says, hatred stirs up strife, but love covers all offenses. I love this proverb. Hatred, anger, and temper are not good conflict resolution techniques. Just turn on the news or scroll through social media to see the truth in this. You'll never see true, uh, conflict truly resolved by trading insults. The root of this type of conflict resolution is, in fact, idolatry, most likely an idolatry of self that prevents you from letting go of a perceived wrong against you. So, what is a good conflict resolution technique? Love. It says here that love covers all offenses. Seeking the best in others, not just in yourself. Giving the benefit of doubt to others not just to yourself. Forgiving others, not just overlooking your own sin while fixating on the sins of others. 
if you are constantly angry, if you are the kind of person who loves a good fight, if you are continually stirring up conflict, you are a fool. Dr. Paige Patterson once explained what this kind of conflict resolution looks like. Early in his ministry, he decided that he would respond to hatred with love. During the more feisty days of the Southern Baptist Convention's conservative resurgence, he was targeted by a particular news person. This man brought Dr. Paige Patterson in for an interview and then purposefully edited the tape to misrepresent what Dr. Patterson had said. Dr. Patterson is plenty smart enough, if you've ever met the man, that he could have written and published a pretty scathing defense of himself. But instead, he sent the man a tie. This continued to be Dr. Patterson's practice. When someone treated him unfairly, he sent him a tie. I actually have a friend of mine who had a friend who wrote a blog about something that Dr. Patterson had said and, and, and heavily critiqued him. When I told my friend this story about Dr. Patterson and how he gave this news guy a tie, he thought I was talking about his friend because Dr. Patterson sent his friend a tie. And he was wondering, did you talk to my friend? And I'm like, no, that's, he's been doing this for years. He's like, whoa, I didn't know that. This is a cool, that's, that's just, it's, I think that's such a neat way to deal with people who bring you trouble, people who hurt you, to just show them that you love them and send them a tie. What a more productive way to deal with conflict. Instead of insisting on being right, just find ways to love on those who seek to hurt you. After all, how you respond to them does not merely, merely reveal if you have a problem with that person, but ultimately it reveals that you have a problem with Jesus. Fourth, we see that Jesus produces wisdom <clears throat> that leads to rewards in your life and in the life to come. Verse 20, verses 24 through 32 deal with the rewards and consequences of wisdom and foolishness. It's a matter of life and death. Look at verse 24. It says, What the wicked dreads will come upon him, but the desire of the righteous will be granted. So what do you fear? What are your nightmares? Do you fear financial ruin? Marital ruin? Do you, do you fear that your children will not turn out the way you want them to? Do you fear not succeeding at your job? Do you fear not having a good reputation? Do you fear death and judgment of hell? Solomon says that if you're a fool, outside of Christ, those are the very things that you will receive. What you fear is exactly what will happen to you. But if you are wise and righteous through Christ, which means that your desires have now been transformed to be God's desires for you, then you will get what you desire. Or see how that works, though. It's not, I want a million dollars now. Now that I'm a Christian, I want a million dollars, I get a million dollars, right? No, it's as I'm growing in my relationship with Christ, my desires align with God's desires, and when I want what God wants, then that's what he gives me, right? It's when our desires are in alignment with God's desires, whether that desire is eternal life, a strong marriage, a godly family, or whatever God is molding and shaping you to desire, those are the things that you will receive. Those rewards may come now in this life, but they will certainly come 
in the life to come because verse 25 says that the righteous will be established forever. It says when the tempest passes, the wicked is no more, but the righteous is established forever. Proverbs 10 through 31 presents these consequences as both present and future. Proverbs 12, 21 promises stability in your life and not chaos when you walk in wisdom. Whereas 12 through 12, 28, excuse me, promises that the righteous will never die. The problem is none of us are righteous. So this verse would mean hell for us. But in Christ, we are counted righteous. And even though we might die, yet we will live forever. Faith in Jesus leads to eternal life beginning the moment you put your trust in him. Now, when I read the book of Proverbs, it can be very discouraging. I read what these verses teach and I take stock of my life. And I think about how often I've messed up and continue to mess up. I think about the times that I did not listen to my parents. Think about times when decisions I made brought sadness on them instead of happiness. Think about how often I've said things to people that were harmful and hurtful. Think about how often I, uh, I've said things, uh, think about how often I, I did not listen to some bit of advice that I needed to hear that someone told me because they loved me. Think of how often I've shared secrets that I should have kept. Think about how often I've procrastinated on tasks that were assigned to me. I think of how often I didn't forgive someone who wronged me. In all these things that Proverbs lays out, I see how I have messed up repeatedly. But here's how we read these things in Proverbs rightly, and in a way that brings joy and not discouragement. One scholar put it this way and sums up the book of Proverbs beautifully. And I'll close with this. He said, Jesus has fulfilled in our place the perfection God demands. He was the truly wise and fully sanctified human on our behalf. Thus, as we struggle to become wise, we know that our failures do not disqualify us from life because Christ himself is our only qualification. He when all is said and done, is our wisdom. And to possess Christ is to be accounted wise by the only judge who matters. As we come to our time of invitation, if you're here today and you're not a believer, you say, I, my life is messed up and I don't have wisdom because I don't have a relationship with Jesus. Now is the time to respond in faith. Don't wait. We're not promised another second in this life. Come now and receive Christ. Maybe you're a, a believer and you're, you know that you're growing in an area of, of, of what Proverbs is talking about and you just need to repent and ask the Lord to continue to grow you in this area. Guys, the gospel is progressive in our lives. Not that we progressively become more and more saved, but we're progressively growing in the gospel. You're not saved and all of a sudden perfect. It takes time. That's a blessing to know <laughs> that we're not doomed, right? God is still working on us. Praise the Lord. Maybe as we look at this today, you say, there's an area in my life that is not 
completely given over to the gospel. There's an area in my life where the gospel still has not gotten a hold of my heart. Maybe you can use this time in your seat or you can use these stairs. I don't care where you use, what time you use or where you do this. Maybe you need to use this as an opportunity to get that area of your heart right with the Lord. I want to pray for us as we close out. Lord, thank you for this day. Thank you for this opportunity we have to come to your word. Lord, to grow in it, not just to, not just to be told that we're all doing okay and nothing's wrong in our lives, and, but Lord, your word digs in and gets really personal, shows us where we're messing up, dabbles with our areas of pride, Lord, because we need it. It's stuff we need to hear. The Bible doesn't tell us what we want to hear. The Bible tells us what we need to hear. Pray, Lord, that if there's anyone here who does not know you as Savior, that they would give their life to you today, that they would not spend another moment outside of a relationship with you. Lord, if there's someone here today who needs to repent of some sin, who needs to draw near to you, I pray that they would take this opportunity to do this now in their seat or wherever. Lord, that they would not live another moment of their life in you without taking care of this issue, without getting this area of their life under the authority of the gospel. Lord, I pray for everyone in this room. I pray that we would respond to you in worship that, Lord, we would have a week where we seek to have everything we do be, in, be another breath of worship. Pray this all in your name.